Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week's Travelcast is brought to you by J.R. Hamantation Short Story Anthology. You know it's true. Twelve stories of truly dark fiction. Folks, you know when we plug an anthology on this cast, it's going to be good, and it's going to be weird. This guy, this Hamantation guy, it's like... If Kafka just all of a sudden thought to himself, you know, I need to really dial this all up a lot. Like, a lot. Bugs don't wake up in bed one morning after a night of troubled dreams. They hatch. Gregor Samsa hatched one morning to find he had the body of a horrible six-legged vermin. From his grandmother. Her neck, specifically, because that's where the thing that made Gregor laid its egg. Anyways, Gregor had to go to work, and he found that this time of morning... Yeah, but the title, The Metamorphosis, is way too short for J.R., probably go with something more like that nocturnal transition of chitinous detachment which upon waking unfurls us. Don't miss this one, folks. You Know It's True by J.R. Hamantation. Get it free right now with Kindle Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com. Search for You Know It's True in books. You'll love it. And you can't go wrong with free, right? It's also for sale there in paperback if you like book books like I do. And if you want to hear J.R. on the Drabblecast, check out episode 205, his story, Wonder. You won't forget it. Okie doke, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to the Travelcast, episode 449. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week, folks, we bring you the platonic love story of a girl and her dinosaur, an original unpublished story by John Wiswell called The Tyrant Lizard and Her Plus One. John Wiswell is a disabled writer who lives where New York keeps all of its trees. He recently won the Nebula Award for Best Short Story and is currently a Hugo finalist as well. His works appeared in Uncanny Magazine, Diabolical Plots, Nature Futures, and Nightmare Magazine. Follow him on social media at Wiswell. The story is read to you by a voice you are familiar with if you listen to the show with any regularity, Veronica Giger. According to her kids, she makes funny noises into a microphone and takes breaks to run, crochet, and play video games. According to her husband, she's addicted to coffee and Star Wars. And according to her three cats, she's probably late to feed them dinner. Check her out at voicesbyveronica.com. And so, without further ado, we bring you The Tyrant Lizard and Her Plus One by John Wiswell. Dinosaurs don't want to kill you. They just don't care that you're there. More people have been sat on by brontosauruses than have been eaten by all the theropods combined. Since I joined security on the archipelago, 82% of dinosaur-related human casualties were from tourists who got too close during mating season. 
And the four times I've seen a Deinonychus attack someone, they've always left them uneaten. Why? For the same reason bears and sharks tend to leave victims alive. Because humans taste like shit. The easiest way to survive is to not come here at all. You may remember my crew from the news three years ago, when the government sent us to claim these islands in the name of democracy or whatever. I only took this job because I was drowning in bills and going deaf. Opportunities were short. It was an exciting six months before Congress cut our funding and left us with zero evac and zero back pay. Now I literally can't afford to leave. If you see my senator, please tell him Ms. Plover sends her finest expletives. Nowadays, my job is managing the food for my fellow orphans. The government is gone, but food suppliers keep dumping here. We get airdrops of grain and meat-like substances that were too low-grade for corporations to sell in the Americas. Thanks to regulations, they pocket write-offs by dropping their garbage on the lawns of dinosaurs. I'm on my way outside to paint when the tripwires go off, letting me know I have heavier company than usual waiting outside. I left my brushes and pigments outside and instantly fear for them. Painting is the one respite I have out here, even if my Tumblr has three followers. In high school, Mr. Dennett said I lacked ability and discipline, but I do it for myself, not for the memory of teachers who neg their students. Dinosaurs are less opinionated about amateur fauvism. The tripwire trembles two more times, waving colored flags, and then I'm sure it's the ducks outside. See, the ducks don't care that I'm here, but they love discount bulk grains. I feel the vibrations of their feet thudding on the concrete outside as I grab my trusty Vuvuzela. The ducks are probably going after the cargo containers again. When I say ducks, I mean hadrosaurs. They are some of the most social critters on the island, and if you drop crumbs on the ground once, they'll follow after you honking forever for more that you don't have. It's no surprise they evolved into ducks. So, I head outside with the Vuvuzela that I stole from a drunken David Beckham impersonator at the only sports game I ever went to. I come out blowing. The sudden loud noise usually spooks the ducks into fleeing the premises. I have a backup alarm, but this usually does the trick. There are no ducks. First, I look to the jungle, expecting them to flee south to the river. Then I check the parking lot, which is similarly vacant. This is weird. Hadrosaurs always dumpster dive in flocks. A single tail juts from inside the garage. The other ex-employees forgot to close the shutters after picking up their shipment, and a dino got in. Something with a way bigger tail than my ducks. Standing halfway in the door, I give another blast of the Vuvuzela. The tail ignores me, swaying as its owner munches hips deep in a frozen fast food smorgasbord. I grab a chunk of asphalt and hurl it at the tail. That gets her attention. She turns quicker than a hadrosaur, just like evolution ordered. She reels on my door with fifty teeth and breath that gingivitis has nightmares about. She's a Chuchung Tyrannus, the archipelago's dominant brand of Tyrannosaur, and she's definitely looking at me. 
Her gaze makes me drop the Vuvuzela. It plunks to the ground as I reach for my phone and swipe up for the only app that still works. I am over 90% deaf in my good ear, and the rumble of her footsteps is fully audible to me. The earth shakes, the vibrations traveling up my entire body. I can hear her with my feet. She is as close as she needs to be to turn me into a cautionary tale. I hit the emergency app, signaling every light and siren in the compound. It's an overcast early morning, and suddenly the parking lot is painfully bright from floodlighting, and the klaxons drown out anything for two square miles. That spooks the Chuchin Tyrannus, who bangs her head against a cargo container, denting it deeply, and then she sprints directly at me. This is my fault hitting an alarm that makes the critter run in whatever direction she's facing. The mix of light and noise might as well be a hurricane, and anything alive runs from it. My dumbass made an off-brand T-Rex charge directly at me. I dive indoors, the heavy steel slamming behind me, and pray to a god that I otherwise don't admit believing in. I hyperventilate, hugging my sides. Trampling is a huge human killer. How lucky was I to make it out of that alive? When my fingers stop shaking, I swipe the alarm off and poke my head outside. My Cretaceous visitor is gone, leaving behind a trail of crushed cars. She must have hauled tail out of here. After all that, I need a smoke and a canvas, and there haven't been cigarettes on the island in years. It'll take hours of painting to really calm my nerves. I look around for my paints for several moments. Did I leave them by the cars? I'm worried the bag has been crushed until I see a single smear of pink across the asphalt. The smear leads into the jungle. The queen of the lizards stole my paints. I keep walking in circles, looking under wreckage I've already checked. Denial is easier than imagining a terrified monster accidentally snagging a bag of painting supplies on her notoriously tiny arms. You think it's hard finding cigarettes out here? Try buying a paintbrush set. Try mixing your own pigments from scratch. I've been stretching out these supplies for years and now... So shut up about me going in the jungle. I go because I'd rather get trampled out there than live in safety without art. And if you don't understand that, then you're what I don't miss about not living in human society anymore. It takes me half an hour to track to her den. It seems bizarre that I've never seen her before if she lives that close. Then I notice all the newly crushed ferns. There are no bones from carrion or feces anywhere around. Although it smells like feces and then some. The Chichen Tyrannus lies on her belly, flattened out across the earth, facing northwest. She's over 35 feet long, with a coat of red and black quills along her spine. She's not a proper T-Rex, but I dare you to call her a knockoff to her face. My fiber-weave paint bag is stuck to one of her toes. Her body shudders painfully, and I'm grateful to be coming from the south end until she rips one. My eyes water so badly that they almost squirt out of my head. It's like if hell had an axe body spray. This isn't a healthy lady. 
Her guts are full of chemically treated meat-like product that humans haven't evolved to digest, let alone critters from 65 million years ago. The Queen of the Lizards is sprawled out in pain because she's got indigestion. Taco Bell makes us all feel mortal an hour later. I finish dry heaving, thankful that she doesn't rouse at the sound. I creep up to her left foot. Both straps of the paint bag are wrapped around one of her claws. It doesn't look pulverized, the bag resting atop of the foot instead of beneath the heel. This will be easier when she passes out. I check around her right side, trying to make out her eyes, and a dry fern cracks so loud that I even hear it. Not so much the twitch of an eyelid. The irritable monster keeps staring forward like she doesn't hear a thing. She just wants today to be over. I look at the fern under my shoe and remember blowing the Vuvuzela at her. Did she run from the sirens or just from the light show? No way, I say despite myself, and she doesn't seem to notice. Her ear canal doesn't twitch in response to a sound right next to her. This Chichintaranus is deaf. Deaf like me. I actually raise both palms and slowly lower them in ASL for calm. My first urge is to teach her to sign with her tiny hands. Or her one remaining tiny hand. I can't go erasing disabilities, not even those of dinosaurs. She's missing her right arm, her scales puffy out around scar tissue. She has deep grooves down her flank where other critters have hit her over the years. This old lady has led a life, a deaf hunter, a disabled queen whose handicapped spot you'd better not steal. That's when I decide to help her out. She was technically my neighbor, and I have an idea. Crocodiles let plover birds into their mouths to peck scraps from their gums. The birds are so small that they're not worth eating in exchange for the pleasure of having someone else do your flossing. That's why my Tumblr handle is Ms. Plover. It's a quick trip back to the compound for supplies. I mix a garbage bag of Dino Pepto, stomach-settling drugs from back when the park worked, reptile-friendly antibiotics, and some of that chemical the fast food joints use to make a microwaved patty smell fresh off the grill. Theropods hot on smell, anyway. Within three seconds of sticking the bag under her snout, Chew bites into it and throws it back like a jello shot. She does it so fast that I'm stuck there in her line of sight. If she wants to eat this plover bird, she can. I sign calm again, more to myself than her. She returns her head to the ground like she's dismissing the maid. Is it weird to be offended that a dinosaur didn't make eye contact? I linger behind some trees until her shuddering subsides, hoping I haven't killed her. I was barely trained for security. I'm definitely not a vet. Two tugs later, my paint bag slips free from her foot. The inside of the bag is very blue. Two tubes of that have burst. That it's pure blue is a relief because that means none of the other colors broke. I've painted enough skies for a while anyway. I spend the entire hike back to the compound thinking of what to paint. That makeshift dino den would be nice. 
There were some gorgeous views in the jungle, and if Chu sticks around, no smaller predators will mess with me if I go back out there. Plus, I can spend months just sketching the way she crushed those cars. 500 feet out, and the garage stinks like herbivore. I come running, and right around the bend, those damned ducks are banging on the cargo containers. They smelled the grain. They've swarmed around at least three separate flocks, converging on one of the cargo containers Chu had breached. I've never seen so many ducks in one place. The pavement is slippery with their guano. If I don't get rid of them right now, we're going to lose the entire food supply. As much as I hate my neighbors, I am not letting them starve. Fuck. The herbivores are going to kill us all. Avuvuzela is not going to fix this. I could hit the alarm, but with this many ducks around, their own stampede will kill a lot of them, and their carcasses will turn my compound into destination dining for carnivores. I pull out my phone, hesitating over what the hell to do as two hadrosaurs manage to pop the door off the next container. It swings open, and immediately a dozen more of them drive their heads into the food bins. I turn around to pace, and the biggest blur in the world charges past me. I hear her roaring, hear it from my hair to my toes, and she rips into a hadrosaur's belly. Just as nimbly, she uppercuts a second one with her snout, sending it into a wall before going for the kill. The ducks spook, hopping over the cargo containers, going in all directions but hers. Chu chases a third one down, catching it by the tail and drawing it into her mouth like spaghetti. I've never in my life imagined a dinosaur being treated like spaghetti— I'm in absolute awe of this creature. The absolute awe lasts about a minute before she starts barfing all over the parking lot. She was healthy enough to hunt, but not to eat. If you feed a duck once, it'll follow after you, honking forever for more that you don't have. Chu didn't honk, but she had followed me back to the feeding grounds. Her hips shudder, and she glances at me. I sign calm. It'd be anthropomorphizing to say she gives me a look. With that mouth, she always has a look. But when I sign again, she lays down on the asphalt, then barfs up half-digested hadrosaur. She's such a pitiful sight that I want to hold her hair while she barfs. Not that she has hair. Her quills are like anorexic feathers, quivering with her discomfort. I let her rest outside, my personal attack dog. As she alternates between zoning out and nibbling on her leftovers, I sit on the crushed hood of a car and paint. She left me enough red and brown pigments to do her royal likeness justice. It reminds me of Burgess Meredith sitting on the steps of the last library on earth. Time enough at last, I say. I spend the afternoon making Twilight Zone jokes at a deaf carnivore. My surprise is that the paintings of a barfing dinosaur get shared a ton online. Weirdos from around the world message me about prints. T-shirt sites steal my art while I'm busy making new pieces. The internet loves paintings of the big lady doing mundane things, like flossing on my clothesline or falling asleep between the solar panels in a way that looks like she's tanning. Two months later, I have a Patreon. 
I started to be able to afford new paints, especially blue since most of the time I'm painting her from a low perspective and the sky sneaks in there. Demand for art is draining my supplies until the first wave of pledges hits. If you're hearing this, you're probably surprised that I'm surprised. I guess this is when I'm supposed to thank my Patreon subscribers. Thank you for supporting the Ms. Plover project. I hope you like the next piece. Some locals heard I'd tamed the beast, and I think this painting captures the terror of them learning they were very wrong indeed. She's not housebroken, and neither am I. We're a couple of misanthropes. She spends her days prowling for wildlife that doesn't make her as sick as fast food, while I paint our way out from under a crap economy. In a few months, I could afford transportation off this glorified tar pit. I might visit my senator. Although, I'm not leaving without my emotional support animal. Does anyone know an airline with a generous policy? And that was our story. Let's close things out this week with our 100-character story winner, This Week by Dinosaur Monkey. Here it goes. I crawled into bed with her. She looked so peaceful asleep there. I just watched her sleep all night with all eight of my eyes. Ooh. 100 character stories, not counting spaces. We call them twabbles. We have a weekly contest in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org, where we pick a winner and run it on the show, as well as post it on social media at Drabblecast. Hit up our forums in the twabble section. Have a good time. And, you know, while you're doing your Drabble chores, why not tell a friend about us, write us a review on iTunes, blog about us, spread the weird. We appreciate it. As we appreciate our episode artist this week, Travelcast art director Bo Kyer. Bo can draw anything. He will draw anything. Which is why when you look in his eyes now, you can see that he's, he's totally dead inside. Just empty, man. He's gone. But you know, there used to be something there, though. I mean, I've known Bo for ten years, and there used to be something there. I don't know what it was. But it was something. But you know what? It's It's fine. Because if anything, his art's gotten better, in my opinion. I mean, that stupid thing behind his eyes was holding him back. I'm glad it's dead. I'm glad we killed it. It was getting in the way. And now he's a great art director. I mean, he can draw anything. 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 Anyways, check him out at bowkire.com. He doesn't keep it updated much, but it's, it's there. You can see it. It's just not the same bow. Anymore. All right, so our program was brought to you by Abby Hilton, Bo Kyer, Tom Baker, Cameron Howard, Jason Smith, an amoeba in a puddle with subjective thought, Maria Dong, Jen Fisher, Sandro Dell, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you, humans taste like shit. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.